PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another session of NPR's EM Board Bombs podcast, where board studying is calm, chill, and relaxing, just like our NPR voices. I'm joined today by Dr. Blake Briggs. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Hussain. You're welcome. This episode, we have a new sponsor, Dr. Briggs. Who is it? Today's sponsor is brought by Scented Staples. Now, better than ever, your patients will enjoy receiving staples with strawberry, cherry, lime, and watermelon flavors. Note, they are not edible. You are forgetting the guava flavor, Dr. Briggs. That's only south of the border, Dr. Hussain. Thank you for that correction. Sign up on our website for free updates and episodes. You can find us at Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That'd be pretty awesome. This is a continuing series that we have with ASAP, Pure. They give us questions, and we give our awesome voices, and occasionally our NPR voice. Dr. Briggs, are you ready to proceed? Please do. I've been waiting for it. Here's the question stem. Which patient should be evaluated for a significant immunocompromising condition? Is it A, 17-year-old wrestler who has an itchy, comma, red, comma, raised plaque on his inner thigh, extending to the scrotum? Is it B, a 22-year-old college student who has fever, cough, and night sweats following a recent trip to Arizona? Is it C, a 32-year-old asthmatic who has white plaques in his posterior pharynx and odenophagia and redness? Is it D, a 38-year-old football referee who has multiple well-demarcated spots of lighter skin on his chest and back? Dr. Briggs, what's the correct answer? The correct answer will be... C, 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 C! <laughs> We're back! No, Choice <we're> <laughs> C, 32-year-old asthmatic who has white plaques in his posterior pharynx and odynophagia and redness. All back. And if you're an uh, avid follower, you would have known the answer was C, mainly so we could play some of that music again. <laughs> uh, hey, guess what? We're talking about immunocompromised conditions today. The You know, this is a fantastic question by Pierre. Uh, ASAP. I love it. I love it because we're going to really get into it. And I think this is going to help people get five questions right on the boards and also just help them learn good things in general for life. Yes. You know, this is like one of those that's not just for boards, but good life learning. Good life pearls. Yes. You could save a life with this question. You could. And really, in terms of saving a life, we termed public health. Right. Like Dr. Hussain said, if you go to our website uh, for our some many, gosh, our study guides are just exploded. I was scrolling on it on a night shift right. the other day, yeah, and I was just scrolling, and I'm like, "Where's the end of this page?" It just kept going with handouts. <laughs> <laughs> it was that it was like that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're moving the ark into the warehouse, right, right, and right. they zoom out on the camera, and it's just boxes and boxes and boxes of secret government secrets, right, right, yeah, and we it just keeps gov- going. We don't have any right. government secrets on our website, but. 
Wait, don't don't tell them that. Okay. Okay, no, sorry. If you read all the letters and they line up correctly. Anyway, <laughs> so here's the deal here. Guess how many HIV patients are unaware of their infection in the United States? Um, I don't know, a couple thousand? It's a lot. Well, oh, sorry, I was asking percents, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. 15% of all HIV-infected patients don't even know they have the infection. That's amazing. I really yes. would not have thought that. I would have no, thought maybe just a few percentage points. Absolutely. That's concerning, and it's sad, uh, because as the emergency department and recent uh, a lot of the big literature coming out, especially in 2017, uh, was about the ED's role in HIV diagnosis. And that's not our, outside our scope today for sure, but we definitely need to recognize the fact that you need to be thinking about HIV and thinking about immunocompromised states and a lot of your patients coming in with what they think are just routine problems. Yeah, and that's the key. I think why I love this question is it seems like it's not that big of a deal, but mm-hmm. kind of is, kind of is. It's kind of a big deal. Yes. <laughs> Hey, so why don't you explain further about that, why the answer is correct? Why, what's the concerning part of this and go into it further? So really for me is the pain. Um, yeah. So white plaques in the posterior pharynx with associated odenophagia, which I can never pronounce, right? Oh, and really? I don't know why they It's like a it colchicine for me. Yeah, it's just, there's certain words you never got right. Um, so I'm always impressed when one of my medical students would be like, odenophagia. And I'm thinking, oh, so you mean throat? <laughs> hurting um to swallow yes <laughs> that's you know again that what does that suggest right it, it, at a baseline you're looking at esophageal candidiasis right because that's what's painful and you, trust me your patients will tell you this they will you know try even water will just be extremely painful mm-hmm. and oftentimes these folks will present uh dehydrated um and volume down because unfortunately they just are not able to they're able to hold things down, but they just don't want to, right? So, you know, this pathology, right, where we talked about white plaques, posterior pharynx with odenophagia, that's, and then suggestive of that esophageal candiditis, that is found in significantly immunocompromised patients, including those with HIV AIDS, and in whom esophageal candiditis is an AIDS-defining illness, but it's also found in two other subsets, Dr. Briggs, who, what are we thinking here? Thinking transplant yeah, patients right. with uh, immunocompromised states sure. or cancer with neutropenia. Correct, correct. And there, there are certain types of viral infections that can cause this as well. But again, we're talking about key screening things that need to be done by you, the EM provider. Um, it's not good enough here to just say, hey, follow up for, for the work. Deuces. Deuce. <laughs> yeah. Um, but get into this some more. Yeah. So this fungal infection of the esophagus, like we said, is caused by candida, albicans. Mm. The presence of thrush or oral candidiasis is not unusual with patients with steroids for conditions such as asthma. And that's why I love this question. Yes. Because it's not just like a 32-year-old male with white plaques, which anybody would say, well, that's kind of concerning. Right. You're seeing a 32-year-old male with asthma. And so anyone could potentially, unfortunately, dismiss this and say, oh, well, he's on inhaled cortical steroids right. or systemic steroids. And, he, you know, the steroids are causing the thrush in the mouth. But... The big deal here is that the presence of odynophagia, Dr. Hussein's word of the day, suggests a more extensive involvement of the candidiasis. Correct. So the clinical suspicion should arise in any immunocompromised patient with new odynophagia or oral thrush and co-committant uh, odynophagia. Oral thrush without esophageal involvement should not cause discomfort with swallowing. Let's repeat that. For those louder in the back, louder in the back. Oral thrush. I can't hear you. Without <laughs> oral thrush. Without esophageal involvement should not cause discomfort with swallowing and can occur in immunocompetent patients 
with regularly used inhaled corticosteroids without mouth wincing. The diagnosis of, of course, thrush and candidiasis is confirmed by upper endoscopy. Now, thrush is a physical exam uh, diagnosis, but you're never 100% sure, especially with patients with the dynophagia they need an endoscopy. So what's the treatment of candidiasis, Dr. Hussain? So you know, again, typically treated with fluconazole for 14 to 21 days. That drug, from my understanding, has absolutely no side effects or interactions with other drugs, right? Uh, no, not at all. Um, does not cause <laughs> any <laughs> any issues at all. <laughs> oh man, talk about some of the worst drugs. I know. <clears throat> Uh, 14 21 days too now the key though the key though is you know the correct answer is not oh just treatment with some fluconazole no that's not what we're trying to do here that's not what dr briggs is talking about from a public health standpoint no exactly exactly right these patients need to be addressed with absolutely close follow-up and i would honestly have a low threshold to admitting these patients at the minimum at the minimum if they have no history of immunocompromised state but they have evidence or concerning signs for candidiasis they're getting hiv tested that so boom there you go i think that's really the, the crux of it here is you know they might ask questions in a different way for hiv testing but this patient every day in your er should be an hiv test that's why you can't be dismissive Absolutely. of you know patients who come to sore throat because that's oftentimes you have to distinguish a sore throat from painful um swallowing of food right i mean i think that's critical uh so yeah absolutely uh, don't these are not like benign patients oftentimes these folks you know the folks that we see in the er haven't seen a doctor for several years so um mm-hmm. always always remember to be thorough here and by mm-hmm. thorough it means maybe asking what two questions that take five seconds so absolutely you know that's interesting because when i wrote the handout for the uh, hiv acute hiv really we're just covering the how to diagnose HIV, which I think is the most important state uh, for an ER doc to know. And uh, one of the interesting things that comes up in the resource I read is why it's so difficult. Uh, Well, one, early HIV is asymptomatic in up to 10 to 60% of cases, which is insane. And it presents non-specifically with any viral syndrome, which just makes it scary. Um, It shares a lot of simulators, mononucleosis. Especially those LFT bombs, tachycardia, fever that these folks will come in with, right? And lymphadenopathy, uh, right, absolutely. Lymphadenopathy and it just makes well, it difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest mistakes clinicians make is to rely on sexual history or IV drug abuse to guide HIV suspicion and need for testing. While you should definitely ask detailed sexual and drug use history, and that's very important, patients are, of course, reluctant to disclose this information, as logically they would be, or some may not even know their behaviors are high risk, uh, like right. receptive oral intercourse or anal intercourse, etc. And other reasons HIV is infrequently diagnosed acutely is the symptoms are nonspecific. Uh, many patients, like we said, are asymptomatic. The clinicians are uncomfortable asking these questions. And clinicians, here's the, here's the bomb right here. Clinicians incorrectly assume the continued validity of a previous negative HIV test. So if you got a previous test, HIV test, and it was negative a month ago, they're like, you're good. But Which that's is not how long does it not have right. to become positive, right? That's the key. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. We have to actively consider and have a low threshold to test for HIV, right, right. Uh, especially this patient in this question and uh, those who have high risk exposure and high risk behavior. And because they, you know, the big thing here is that we can do early initiation of antiretroviral therapy is a whole different conversation, a whole different podcast. And it reduces the likelihood of HIV transmission from a public health perspective, reduces viral reservoir, increases the chance of HIV eradication. And honestly, gosh, you would be hailed as a hero if you got this in the emergency department. Right. I think I refer to it as a Hussein boss diagnosis. Okay. <laughs> Who's now, that named after? Your father? Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> my great great grandfather. <laughs> it's it just this is a boss diagnosis, <laughs> boss diagnosis mm-hmm. without a doubt. I mean, you you know if you get this, you'll get a standing ovation. It's fantastic, and that's why we're spending so much time on it. But we love this question. So let's go through the rest of the answer choices here. Why are these other ones wrong? So choice A said. We had a wrestler with an itchy red raised plaque on the inner thigh extending to the scrotum. He was 17 years old. Uh, tell me more about that. Sure. Raised red plaques in the inguinal crease suggest tinea cruris, or can I just say jockage? I'm going to say jockage. I'm going to say it. So uh, when he... <laughs> jockage can certainly affect <laughs> compromised persons, but it's also common among healthy people, and its presence alone is not a marker for serious underlying immunocompromise. Uh, Jockage is a dermatic infection that usually involves the growing. It can get spread to the buttocks, thighs, perineum, while sparing the genitalia. It's more common in men. Uh, the fungus is transmitted in you know, person to person. Um, right, wrestling. Uh, wrestling, exactly. Uh, lesions. <laughs> oh, man. The lesions are similar to those of tinea corpus, um, classically appearing as uh, erythematous, these annular plaques with central clearing, right? And then the demarcated borders. The infection should be treated with topicals. Um, you know, these are the azoles and the infected area. Here's the key, keep it clean and dry, right? And unfortunately, you see this a lot, in, you know, especially like really obese patients um, who have kind of moist areas uh, that, mm-hmm. that they have a difficult time keeping dry. Um, the next few that you're going to get into just make me sad, though which is Why? because like these next few i feel like it just brings me back to like step one step two you know that's when life was simple though i mean was, well, was it simple it was also just, uh, just yeah it was like it was stupid uh, all right get it get into these next few that are going to help people on the board hey this is life relevant i survived valley fever you did survive valley fever. let's talk yeah. about it what is this choice b was a college student who's 22 who had fever cough and night sweats following our recent trip to arizona Ooh. Also known as what state? What's their state motto? Dr. Hussein. Oh, what is it? Uh, hold on, let me guess. Um, this is where people come to pass through the Grand Canyon. <laughs> You're actually right. It's Grand Canyon State. Uh, so is it? Recent no. Pro- Are you serious? <laughs> you actually got it. You're kidding me. You're kidding. I thought, me. I thought you were just joking. No, I really did. I. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Hey, I did enjoy my time in Arizona when I was visiting the, you know, went through a visit. Beautiful Canyon. state. I used to live out there. So, recent travel to the Southwest with associated pulmonary and systemic symptoms should prompt consideration for coccidia mycosis. Easy word. Oh. <laughs> or valley fever. <sighs> so, this disease can affect immunocompetent patients who have traveled to endemic areas, including the Southwestern United States, the regions of Mexico, and even some parts of South America, weirdly enough, but that'll never be on your test. It'll no, always be no. the Grand Canyon yeah. and the Mojave Desert. Done. Or Death Valley, where I was. Yes. And newsflash, I didn't actually have valley fever. I just like to tell people I did. So valley fever is self-limited. It includes fever, cough, night sweats, headache, and shortness of breath. Yeah, pre-COVID. Pregnant women and patients with severe disease or immunosuppression or underlying, you know, severe cardiopulmonary disease should be treated with an oral azole antifungal agent. Right. Which we all know and love, and we know they have no side effects. And by the way, we're joking about that. They have significant side effects and SIP interactions. Yeah, you can you, you can see how people who don't understand our sarcasm could just be like, oh, no, I heard it's totally fine. Heard they're great. Heard they're great. That's what Ian Borbump said. <laughs> what are two other fungal infections you just have to know? It's <sighs> a big sigh. Histo and blasto, right? So yeah, histo, yeah, yeah. Histoplasmosis and blastomycosis. 
are critical. And again, these can infect immunocompetent, immunocompetent individuals. Tent. And immunocompromised folks, these infections can become significantly worse, uh, more systemic manifestations. And really, right, right. the separator here is histo, think oral ulcers, hepatosplenomegaly, bone marrow suppression. So that can obviously think about what that's going to do to your labs um, and your cell lines. Yes, um, depression of them. Um, you have blasto, cutaneous ulcers, septic arthritis. And what's this last one that you're really proud of remembering, Dr. Briggs? Erythema nodosum. Boom. Blasto, think erythema nodosum. There you go. Done. There you we, go. We got you through go. it. We got through it. Whew. Okay. Hey, let's talk about the last uh, answer point here. Let me race yeah. through it. So choice D was a 38-year-old football referee who has multiple well-demarcated spots of lighter skin on his chest and back. And this is tinea versicolor, or versicolor, mm. a common fungal rash caused by another hard word, malassezia fervor, which sounds like some sort of food you order. So malassezia fervor is not suggestive of immunocompromised state. We all know this. It's mm. a fungus that requires oil to grow, which is kind of gross, Ugh. and therefore is more common in teenagers. <laughs> Although hyperpigmented or hypopigmented, there's scaly, truncal lesions that are classic signs of the disease. The rash can be any color, hence the name, versicolor. (laughs) First-line treatment is the daily application of good old topical selenium shampoo for one week. And at the low cost of $9.95, you can get two for the price of one. That is correct. From EM Board Bombs. Right. Uh, We we do ship those out if you go to and call 1-800-555-3579. We're trying to make this as entertaining as possible because we know this is really boring, but this is stuff you need to know. We've literally dropped you like 10 questions that you're going to get. And frankly, a lot of skin stuff that you should really know. So we're doing our best. We're trying. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. So topical azoles can also be used too, uh, but selenium is the correct answer on the test. And it's first line has less side effects compared to topical azoles. So patients should be aware that discoloration can last for months. Yes. But it's not a sign that the treatment failed. Right. And oftentimes you'll, you know, I, folks who don't have primary care doctors, they'll oftentimes come in with this condition, I've realized, uh, mm-hmm. still freaking out saying, why isn't anything working? You know, I've tried things. And again, just really reinforcing that it can last for a long time. Again, not that treatment failed. But again, for me, at least for tenure versus color, it's the um, well demarcated and then the spots of lighter skin. That's the key. Absolutely. Here are the final points here. Let's race through them. Yes. Sound the horns. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Sophageal candidiasis suggests a severe immunocompromised state. Point number two. Most fungal skin lesions are not suggestive of immunocompromised state. Choice number three. Valley fever, histoplasmosis, and blastomycosis can affect immunocompetent hosts and are typically self-limited. And by self-limited, we usually mean upper respiratory pneumonia-like infections. Correct. And we talked about the systemic effects that they could have. Tinea versicolor, remember, for that, it's going to be areas and lesions that are discolored, but light, right? Mm-hmm. Lighter skin, mm-hmm. well demarcated. Mm-hmm. Bingo. I think that's all we got. Hey, should we out? just take like the last minute we did and just make the podcast and just take out everything else? I know, right. The jokes are what sells. You're right, you're right. Otherwise, I mean, what are we? We're just... You know, you know that um, expression, the uh, defense wins games, offense sells tickets? You know, you ever heard that term? You know, some sometimes you do things that are pretty brilliant, Doctor Briggs. 
and uh, gonna have to and this is this is exactly it. one of those cases this is the one of those um, cases. knowledge wins games but our comedy sells tickets I, I agree and that's why we had to come in hard with the NPR at the beginning of this we were like we'd gotten a lot of requests on Twitter yep. we appreciate that Twitter Instagram people have been sending us messages yep. asking us when the NPR voice would get busted out in reality on the real no one has but we like to pretend that people have um, and <laughs> We live in this world where we think everyone's constantly talking about us. Right. And EM board bombs. Yes, like we're like the center of the universe. <laughs> it's healthy. It's a healthy appreciation it is. of ourselves. Look, we're both like 80s babies, all right? So. <laughs> yeah, that's why we have so many problems today. All right, we're taking us out. <laughs> Goodbye. That's another edition of EM board bombs delivered. Please remember to go to iTunes and drop five-star reviews. And remember, great handouts at emboardbombs.com. And thousands of people have done our free airway module. Feel free to do it. You'll feel a lot smarter. It's free. It's free. And you'll just feel really good about yourself the rest of the day. Goodbye.